0: Welcome to the Kernel DeFi podcast. My name is Sean DeMantha, and I'm here to explore the past, present, and future of the DeFi industry with you. In this episode, I spoke with Dana Gibber, co-founder and CEO of Flow Carbon, and Nick Chen, head of carbon finance for Flow Carbon. Flow Carbon is a new protocol that is taking advantage of the refi movement to tokenize the voluntary carbon credit market, increasing liquidity within the carbon credit market for all stakeholders involved, particularly investors, as well as those who benefit from these carbon credits, and enabling a whole host of DeFi applications to be built on top of carbon credits and build positive climate impact. If you were ever curious about how to use Web3 technologies to drive positive social impact, you don't want to miss this episode. The recording with Nick and Dana follows. Thanks for listening. Hey, Dana and Nick, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Really excited to have you here. If you don't mind sharing a bit more about your backgrounds, for those who are less familiar with you and your work, would love to hear also what brought you to start Flow Carbon and be involved in the voluntary uh, carbon credit market.
1: Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having us on. We're very excited to be here. Um, So I am Dana. I'm a co-founder and the CEO of Flow Carbon. Uh, My background, I'll start with that. Uh, I'm a lawyer by training. So I went to law school, I worked for a judge after law school, um, who was both on the federal appellate court, and also on what's called the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court of Review, which is the court that reviews our wiretapping applications for foreign intelligence purposes. So all top secret classified work, it was super fun. And I wasn't so keen on then going to be an associate at a Wall Street law firm. So I instead started a software company immediately thereafter, um, which was a platform for AI powered chatbot technology worked on that for a few years and sold it to a private equity fund in 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, Actually, my co-founder there is one of our co-founders here at Flow. So she's back with me. And um, it was around that time that the two of us together started getting involved in some environmental philanthropy, which is basically philanthropy that goes towards large-scale forest conservation projects. And Really got to see the extent to which reliance on philanthropy capital was woefully inadequate to address the rapid destruction of our natural ecosystems, um, which is why you know there's famous stats that um, that you hear, such as we destroy about um, six football fields worth of old growth rainforests every second. So we're really destroying our ecosystems at an alarming rate. We, my my co-founder Caroline and I. Did it you know we're we're kind of stunned by this, and we're prompted to do a deep dive into what alternative financing mechanisms existed um other than philanthropy to effectuate these large scale projects and from it it was there that we learned about what's called the voluntary carbon market, which is the market that issues to projects that reduce or remove carbon from the atmosphere, like Afforestation, reforestation, conservation, and then some non nature based projects as well. You can do those projects and get a unit called a carbon credit issued to you in the exact amount of your um, carbon impact. And that unit can be sold for revenue. So all of a sudden, you have this really elegant and ethical financial construct that creates a revenue stream incentivizing the preservation and restoration of our ecosystems instead of their destruction um, at the simplest level. So we were really, really excited by this market, um, interested in this market, and recognized some key challenges in the market. Um, There are a number of challenges that have prevented the market from scaling. Um, And 2020 was a real inflection point for the market where um, on the demand side, the demand for these carbon credits, which are sold as carbon offsets, uh, was uh, just beginning to jump really, really significantly. Corporations were making commitments really rapidly to buy carbon offsets. And so we decided to jump in and address some of the key underlying structural challenges that were preventing quality credits from being brought online and then sold transparently into the corporate market. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we have plenty of time to deep dive into what those challenges are. But basically the first thing we did on day one was to bring on board uh, the smartest person we could find on um Basically looking at projects, understanding the, like the different ways that these projects can be financed. Uh, and that was Nick. So Nick, who are you?
2: Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting us. I'm obviously very excited to talk about company and obviously carbon always. Um, so I'm Nick, uh, head of uh, carbon finance here at Flow. Uh, basically background is in, uh, management consulting and investment banking before coming uh, to Flow. I was with McKinsey. Doing real assets consulting, specifically on hard to finance really big infrastructure projects in both the transportation as well as the energy space. And before that, I was a sales side banker at JP Morgan doing similar stuff on uh, roads, airports, transmission grids, um, similar stuff before that at Corey. So, very much in tune with the whole idea of funneling capital towards really hard to finance, but super critical projects. And I think carbon is no different. Um, that's what attracted me to the space and ultimately what attracted me to flow. Whereas here, our core mission really is about funneling capital that is there, but are often inefficiently allocated, um, to mission critical things like infrastructure, like climate change, mitigation strategies, and like the voluntary carbon market. So that's why I joined flow and, uh, you know, very happy to talk about everything flow and everything we're doing here. Um, but yeah. Excited to to have discussion.
1: Yeah. And the reason finance plays such a key role in this market um, is kind of at both ends of the carbon cycle. So first, just creating these projects in the first instance can be incredibly capital intensive and very difficult to underwrite. And that was the first challenge that we identified. And it's, you know, one of the two key challenges that we're trying to solve using really innovative structures, products, et cetera. So if you identify a project opportunity, it's often in the developing world in the global south. um, And you have to basically have capital to put to work, securing certain kinds of assets, ensuring the uh, continuity of your project, meaning let's say it's a conservation project, you have to secure the land asset. You have to like have local people watching it, working in it. If it's afforestation, reforestation, there's like a tremendous planting effort. Um, The process by which you get certified as a carbon project to actually get your credits that you can sell for revenue can often take um, up to uh, years. It could take two years, three years, depending on the type of project. And so you need to have um, capital to keep your project going. The certification process itself costs money um, and uh, there needs to be ongoing operations. So that's that, that's there's a major capital bottleneck there because these projects are often very high risk and super difficult to underwrite for traditional financing. So that's one. Separately, once the projects actually do get these carbon credits issued, they then have this great unit to sell for revenue, but the process or the, I would say the market by which these things are bought, sold, and then retired as offsets has been tradition historically incredibly opaque and non-transparent. So it's almost 80% over the counter through Um, intermediaries, brokers, marketing agents, etc. It takes a very long time. These intermediaries are highly extractive. There's no price discovery whatsoever because it's all, you you know, behind closed doors, OTC, which also impacts the ability to finance the projects because there's no understanding of what the output unit, this carbon offset unit, could be worth in a liquid market. And so the other application of blockchain technology here, and so what Flow Carbon is doing, is using blockchain to tokenize carbon credits to enable some standardization where different ones can, that, are, that have certain similar criteria can be grouped together and then sold in a transparent, liquid trading environment um, w- without, a lot of, without really any of these extractive intermediaries. So enabling the direct sale from projects to buyers in the form of tokens that can be liquid and transparent. Um, and further enable the financing of the of the projects at the outset.
0: Well, thank you for going over your backgrounds and explaining a bit more about the carbon credit market. I wanted to give the audience a little better understanding of that vol- voluntary carbon credit market as it stands today. So, who are the buyers right now? Who are the investors, and how are they uh, how are they conducting these over the counter trades? I, I saw that one of the major players in the space is called uh, Vera, correct me if I'm wrong. And a, a few other organizations that might be involved. So uh, h- how, like, I, I think it would be really valuable to really understand the, the pain, the pain points in the process right now. And a bit more about the future you at Flow Carbon imagine for, for this market.
1: Sure. So the way it works right now is pro- there are projects all over the world. They have to, um, that that are reducing and removing carbon from the atmosphere, different kinds of projects. Um, There are four globally recognized carbon crediting um, standards that these projects can apply to, to get certified as real certified, credible carbon projects. Um, And the main one is Vera. You mentioned Vera. Vera issues about 80% of the credits that are sold in the market right now. So they're, they're, you know, they're the biggest one. But the other, uh, the other three are the gold standard, the American Carbon Registry, and the Climate Action Reserve. So you have a project, you go through the sometimes two, three-year process of having auditors come in, look at your project, evaluate the carbon impact, have another third-party verifier come check all the data, make sure that your project is both having the climate impact that you're claiming, um, and that it's really truly additional, which means that without selling offsets, you don't have any way of financing this project. Um, It wouldn't have happened without carbon revenue is another way of saying that. So you finally get it certified through Vera. You get your credits issued to an account that Vera holds on your behalf. So you are the project. You now have this account at the Vera registry that's sitting on, it could be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of carbon credits. Now on the other side of the market, you have the buyers for those credits, which are largely corporations. Corporations over the last um, 24 months, about 5,000 plus corporations have made what's called net zero commitments, which means they are going to be effectively net zero in their carbon emissions, often by 2030. That's the most common date for a net zero commitment. It means that they're going to A, quantify all of the emissions in their operations. They're going to, two, reduce their carbon emissions as much as they can, but obviously in any functioning corporation, there's you have to emit carbon. And so three, um, part of net zero pledges often includes offsetting those residual, hard to abate or impossible to abate emissions that are inevitably going to happen. Um, and so most corporations have, you know, of the thousands of global corporations that have made these commitments, many of them have already quantified their carbon emissions they have started reducing, you know, finding cleaner sources of energy, doing what they can to reduce their emissions in a really responsible way, and also recognizing that they are not going to be meet a net zero commitment, like scientifically, mathematically impossible without buying carbon offset. And so, which basically just means I, I can't reduce my emissions down to nothing. That's impossible. So I'm going to finance these projects elsewhere that can remove the rest of the, the, the emissions that I can't internally emit. So those are the buyers. Now, what's really been fascinatingly broken is the means by which these credits get to these buyers. So they go through a very complicated web of brokers and marketing agents who um, sell them at completely non-transparent prices, non-uniform or standardized pricing at all. You often have um, you know, multiple sellers or agents on behalf of the seller selling the same credits pitching them out at different prices. For buyers, they really have no sense of what they're buying, whether they're getting good pricing, what the quality of the project is. It's been a very difficult market to navigate with the result being that it's a very expensive market to navigate, which means a lot of players have been left out. Furthermore, um, it, it, it's it's a highly inefficient market. So there's tremendous legal fees. There's no contract standardization. Um, there is a huge time delay between Buying uh, like pulling the trigger on a buy and actually receiving your credits, and lastly, many buyers can't actively receive the credits. So you you have to have one of these registry accounts to receive the credits, and and they're very limited in who has these accounts. Um, and so because the registries only have so much capacity to keep opening new registry accounts, and so the result being that account holders have a lot of control over how they sell the credits, to whom they sell them. And when they sell them, it's not a a sort of, it it prevents the commoditization here that would be very healthy for this market. Nick, you wanna add anything?
2: No, I think that's right. Um, So I would add on the investor side. So obviously Dana talked about the buyers and the sellers. Uh, In the middle, there's the brokers and marketers, but also investors that currently exist. Um, And I would highlight that because I think we as Flow Carbon can play a role, a very, very important role in improving how capital actually moves between the buyer and the seller. That is better than what the investors are doing today. So a lot of the investors currently are financing these carbon projects with all equity. So they would have to put uh, capital at risk with almost no leverage, no debt, and finance these fully at risk, and they take the equity risk on both the volume and the price and the delivery risk, and sometimes even regulatory risk on specific countries, because a lot of these projects are in the global south. Um, we believe there's a more efficient way to do this, and we could get a little bit into that and some of the products we're actually developing now to make this more efficient. But I would, I would add on top of what Dana just said that in the middle, there are often
0: these sort of equity funds that are currently buying and selling carbon credits in the middle. Mm-hmm. Do these investors also invest directly in these projects themselves or do they primarily conduct these investments through purchasing carbon credits on massive scales?
2: Yeah, both. Um, I would say mostly through carbon credits. So most carbon credits are exacted in, in voluntary carbon market through a structure called pre-base. So usually, for example, um, a project uh, would pump out, let's say a million tons of carbon to be issued in a year's time a fund would come in and basically commit. I will buy the million tons of what they're issued, and I will prepay either all of it upfront or a portion of it upfront, depending on the risk profile of the project. Um, but we do actually see deals sometimes in which the investors come in and invest equity at the co level, um, in which uh, they're investing in the company that controls the projects, not the credits themselves. But I would say those are fewer. Most most credits or most investments are made through the credits themselves.
1: To be clear, by the way. The one ton represents one carbon credit. So if you're a project that has sequ- is sequestering a million tons of carbon, you know, in your trees and root systems, then you get issued a million carbon credits. And it, it, it's a yearly annual impact. And the credits are issued on often an annual issuance schedule. Um, and those credits are then what's sold in the market. So what tokenizing them does is solves a lot of these, these challenges um, that really prevent the market from scaling. So when you have a one-to-one representation of these carbon units, they can be a grouped together into bundles, which Flow Carbon is doing, that are more standardized. So no longer does a corporation have to buy directly from a specific project, which exposes them to project-level risk, which is one of the main concerns that buyers have. Which is why it's so expensive to buy, because you actually have to go vent the project. Um, and I can explain that for a minute. The last thing you want if you're a corporate buyer of a, of a, of carbon credits. You're doing this as part of your ESG mission. You're, these are, you know, very, for the most part, um, that these are corporations with a lot of integrity trying to do the right thing and putting capital to work against that goal. But if you by accident buy a project that then a while later has some kind of article come out that says it, you know, had some issue with it. It was abusing indigenous workers, it burned to the ground. And so the carbon is no longer there. It, you know, there was a lot of illegal deforestation happening when the project claimed it wasn't any kind of issue that might surface. Um, you you expose yourself to as the corporate buyer, um, inevitably. So um, they have to do a lot of project level diligence when there's really at this point, the like the expansion of the market can really rest on these third party verifiers and certifiers to certify certain criteria and then those can be grouped together and corporates can really buy from a portfolio of projects that trade at one transparent price so the biggest challenge i would say in the market is that there is is the complete lack of standardization and transparency around the price of carbon units i think it's the ca- it's the catalyst that has led to a lot of the other challenges that we see in the market and so by to- by grouping credits together in liquid bundles and then having them trade um, at one transparent uniform price, you unlock a tremendous amount of functionality um, and liquidity for this market. And so that's what FlowGarbit is doing with our tokenization protocol.
0: That that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm hearing is it's almost, the the investors in this marketplace are probably predominantly uh, institutional investors, is that fair to say? And would, would Flow Carbon eventually create a market that enables retail and investors to participate much more in this uh, in this market and participating, supporting climate-friendly uh, or climate projects around the world? Um, wanted to get a sense from you as well to what types of investor profiles you would cater to uh, both now and in the future.
1: Yeah, I think A, we there's two types of investors. There's we really view, um, we view expanding access to the carbon credits themselves. So this is, you know, they've been created, they've been issued to a project, they've been, you know, and now they're just ready to be sold. We think that tokenizing democratizes access to this unit so that individuals who right now can't have registry accounts, can't can't take possession of these things, individuals cannot um, really participate in this market at all. Um, and so, a unlock access to individuals to be able to buy carbon units, hold them, and retire them when they want. And in the interim, we we have a bunch of great partnerships that we've announced. And they can earn yield on these. They can use them in a couple of different really exciting DeFi um, like partnership um, partnerships that we've initiated. And there's a whole universe of use cases that can happen with a tokenized carbon primitive that we can't even fathom. But that we have a lot of you know partners that are starting to build cool things with it. So number one, democratize access. Small businesses and mid, mid-level corporates also not really transacting in this market because the barriers to entry are so high. You have to engage a consultant to go ping all of these brokers, do a lot of project-level diligence, do these non-standardized contracts, often with a jurisdiction that is, you know, in another country. It, it's really difficult to transact. So this just lowers the cost of, um, of entry in a significant way and democratizes access. Everyone can participate in the same pool of credits at the same price. Corporates, small corporates, individuals, DeFi protocols, etc., cetera, um, other protocols. So, um, so that's that. But you asked specifically about investing in projects. And so I'd say two things. One is we are part of a broader ecosystem called ReFi, which are basically a bunch of great projects that are focused on leveraging, it, well, the, the part that we you know, focus on, leveraging blockchain technology and protocols to have a really great climate impact at this in simplest terms, right? Great climate projects that are building on blockchain. And so there's a lot of innovation happening there. Um, as far as what we would, uh, are working towards in terms of financing projects, we announced a partnership with a protocol called Centrifuge, with, um, which does enable accredited investors, um, individuals, entities, et cetera, to participate. Nick, you want to talk more about that?
2: Yeah, so Centrifuge essentially is a technology that enables um, the deployment of on-chain capital to the financing of real world assets. So they have a couple of uh, assets out there already that are non-carbon, mostly receivables in the real estate space. But we think uh, this is a great opportunity to actually leverage some of that capital towards something impactful. Um, So basically a double bottom line. You're doing well, but you're also doing good. So. Essentially what we're doing is we're putting uh, forward contracts. So I talked a little bit about earlier how these forward contracts usually work is you commit to a certain volume of carbon and you either prepay or prepay on delivery for the carbon. Once it's created, we sign these contracts with a variety of different developers around the globe, um, assessing and filtering for quality and impact. Once we have sort of a shown list of projects, we sign these deals with these developers and then these assets that we originate with these developers, we put into a facility. That is uh, a fully on-chain project finance facility that leverages centrifuge's um, technology to access uh, basically both debt and equity capital to finance projects. And the way and the reason why this is very important is because we believe on-chain capital is very uniquely positioned to take certain types of risk and return profiles that traditional finance is not willing to take. So we can funnel some of that capital towards some of the really big pain points currently experienced by developers, which are early access capital when it's not fully formed and, uh, the ability for small projects often without massive marketing budgets to actually access liquidity without having to go through a very, very long sell cycle with, uh, you know, large corporates or funds. So this both provides liquidity to small, medium, as well as large developers on the supply side. But also on the demand side, it allows investors a way to invest in common projects very easily and also for buyers of credits to really come to a single place and access credits uh, through a single marketplace without incurring a lot of search costs. So I think it benefits buyers, it benefits sellers, but also benefits investors. So I think that's
0: that's why the centrifuge idea and our product is very interesting in this space. Mm Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of opportunities that that unlocks, especially when you mentioned it's on-chain capital. Dana, you mentioned there was uh, some opportunities with DeFi as well, especially when this capital is on-chain. I, I wondered to see if you could explain a bit more about the types of, at least if you've selected any blockchains specifically for uh, Flow Carbon to uh, to use, or using, uh, so some examples of questions I might have are like, are you using proof of stake chains? Uh, what chains are you using and the like? And then, two, love to learn a bit more about once the carbon credits are tokenized, uh, what types of DeFi primitives consumers can use? Um, can they do everything from lending, leverage, um, other types of synthetic assets that can be built on top of this? Uh, or is it still relatively limited at this point? Um, so, we'd love if you could touch upon the the I guess the blockchain aspect yeah. of the 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 capital that flow carbon is working with.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um so we are launching on a blockchain called Cello. Do you know Cello? It's a great layer one blockchain. They are carbon negative.
0: Yep. Seems very uh very popular with the Reef. Very popular crew. with the ReFi
1: crew. Um in part because they are carbon negative that part of their ethos is being climate responsible. The other part, like they're one of their, I think, three core missions. One is is climate. The other one is um, uh, basically leveraging blockchain tech to help the unbanked and like some of the poorest communities in the developing world. So these are um, there's real mission alignment between the blockchain itself and you know certainly us and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, from a an emission a standpoint, they are carbon negative in that they not only have um, essentially De minimis emissions associated with the blockchain at all, but they also offset more than whatever footprint they have um, in part with us. So they they've bought already ten million dollars worth of GNT, which is our first carbon token, carbon back token. Um, so they have demonstrated real leadership um, from among the layer ones on this issue, which I think is really important because obviously we all know that you know from a climate standpoint, there's this major elephant in the room with regards to blockchain associated with really the the intense emissions of the bitcoin blockchain and ethereum and you know other proof of work blockchains so we think you know we're we're really proud to partner with celo and launch on the celo blockchain although we do plan to go multi chain after that because we want this to be available as a primitive for projects on you know all kinds of chains um which i guess is a good segue into how it can be used as a primitive so we've um it's the it's the basically the tokenized carbon credit itself is the primitive. So what well, Flow Carbon's design um, is as follows. We've spent a tremendous amount of time, um, energy, resources, and expertise designing a framework whereby we can um, custody the real world asset, which is a carbon credit. It's a it's a digital asset, but it is something that's in the real world. And um, we can then mint tokens that are one, backed one-for-one one by these carbon units. So it's essentially like a receipt of the, of the unit itself. And then um, we group them together into these bundles and mint fungible tokens um, that represent the bundle. And this is all in a one-for-one one ratio. So the number of t- our GNT token or our, our bundle tokens in circulation is always an exact representation of the number of carbon credits um, in custody that back it. Um, and the, this standardization and commoditization here is, is really key, um, and unlocks a lot of opportunity and a lot of functionality. So we have announced a bunch of partnerships with some DeFi protocols, um, that allow you to do a bunch of things. We, um, one of the ones that I think is really great is a partnership with a platform called Cyberbox, which is an NFT platform where, um, They're basically a carbon negative NFT marketplace, and they're using our tokenized credit um, to power carbon offsetting on the platform associated with all purchases of the NFTs. Um, So that's a very good one. There's a protocol called menthol, which is tooling for other protocols to calculate, I think in real time, the emissions associated with protocols. And then offsetting using our tokens, so basically a- effectively allows other protocols to become carbon neutral by doing the um by doing the measurement or the the essentially the carbon accounting of emissions uh, associated with transacting and then as like using a smart contract automatically offsetting using our token. so that's another one where you're um, incorporating offsetting um into other protocols. um centrifuge is a really good one where that's helping finance projects themselves um, where you can take these forward contracts, use them as collateral. But ultimately when the the, the underlying asset, which is this forward contract pays out, it pays out into um, our token. So it it pays out into this liquid market that we're facilitating. Um, we have a great partnership with Moolah Market. Do you want to talk about that? Or I can also, which basically um, allows you to use um, GNT token which again is our bundle token um to access yield and credit um at while the carbon credit itself is live so what's interesting about carbon credits is they're a live unit until they're retired and that's when they're utilized that's that's when their utility ends right they're basically like a commodity with a use an end use so while they're live and you have this asset um it becomes, uh, it basically makes it makes them capital efficient because you can earn yield on them, um, in this marketplace, Mula Market, um, and so, uh, you know, while you're holding it as an asset, you can, you know, earn yield on it in a way that you absolutely cannot off chain. So, um, yeah, so yeah. those are a couple of good ones. We've we've made a bunch of other announcements, but
2: <laughs> yeah, we have a lot. We have a lot. Yeah. Uh, so fundamentally, I think uh, once you turn the carbon credit into sort of a blockchain native asset. There's a lot you can do with it. And I think, uh, yes, there's all, all the traditional DeFi stuff you can do with it, earning, yield, lending, but I think the broader theme here is when you allow the market to basically uh, create different financial functions on the, the our token itself. It actually allows for greater price discovery that is currently not available in the voluntary current markets. Because right now, uh, the only liquid tool you can do that is through uh, institutional futures, which the barrier to trade is super high. Participants are limited to banks and brokers with sufficient institutional capital and sort of within that arena. But there's really no uh, mass market price discovery of what Uh, carbon credits are worth. And this is very, very important because we talked about democratization. And the reason why democratization is really, really key is because we want everybody to feel vested in the success of the carbon markets. And we want at some point in the future for all natural assets to be valued in some way, not just carbon. So things like biodiversity, things like social impact, all these things that we care about, There's really fundamentally no way for us to value any of that right now in a very scalable way. And Flow Carbon is really building the first step towards eventually building a marketplace in which all natural assets, uh, social benefits, biodiversity can eventually be traded, priced, and efficiently price-discovered so that we can actually start valuing things that we should value, things like nature, things like the air that we breathe, and all these other important things that we should be actually paying
0: attention to. So, so that almost seems to be on your last point, trying to balance out a lot of the negative externalities that at least the current industry neglects to account for. I'm, I wonder, this so really amazing to hear about all the different opportunities you can unlock with DeFi using, uh, using FlowCarbon's set of what I hear is a set of non-fungible and fungible tokens. That represent the the carbon credits and the fluidity in that market. Uh what would you say are some of the top natural assets on your roadmap to go beyond carbon credits? And I realize you're still focused on carbon credits right now, but love we'll to hear your perspective on what are the next ones down the line in the pipeline. I think
1: so we are very much focused on carbon right now. Nothing else is really like immediate or actionable but i do completely agree with nick's sentiment and assessment of the overall um but uh, really of reality which is that we do have a lot of um other things that are valuable beyond carbon meaning where um we can have an impact that would be fundable if they were able to be quantified and basically productized so Human impact, biodiversity, wildlife, water systems, et cetera. these are things that beyond like that are valuable and where a lot of corporate activity is the negative impetus for a lot of the harms done. And so um, similarly, there would theoretically be a market for reversing those harms in the form of credits that go to preventing those harms in the first place. It's it's really a similar underpinning philosophy to what's animating the voluntary carbon market. So I definitely think that, that the future, at least the future I want, looks like a future that has that able to be quantified, evaluated, and then protected via these economic incentives and mechanisms like the voluntary carbon market. But um, I think there are small steps we can take towards ensuring that, but we really are focused on carbon at the moment.
2: Yeah, definitely focus on carbon that uh, we are flow carbon after all, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, might have to change your name, right?
1: Flow <laughs> yeah. everything.
2: Flow everything. Um, you know, but you can look at some cues from like recent regulation passed in the EU, for example, right? They're coming, rolling out a new biodiversity crediting system in Europe. And Europe usually walks, you know, ahead of a lot of other jurisdictions in terms of like looking forward in what's coming. So that's like one thing, biodiversity, very important, obviously, and closely linked to everything we're doing at the carbon side. But uh, yeah, I think there's plenty to do in carbon. Um, there's plenty of uh, things we can execute on carbon, but I, I would say that's thematically what this company is all about is just bringing impact in whichever way possible and just really connecting capital with with
0: uh, with impact. Got it. And, and zooming back in from the long-term future where all natural back assets could potentially be on flow carbon to the current state of the world, where I understand that at least a lot of the macro is impacting how the world is thinking about climate change and carbon credits, uh, on one side, you have the war in Ukraine, which is putting a lot of pressure on EU countries to buy more, more coal and gas to, um, to, to at least stay energy stable, uh, to. If you look at some recent reports, there has been some criticisms of ESG investing and how that's not necessarily driven a climate forward future. And at least some of the companies may not necessarily be the best representatives of the ESG label. And I'm, I'm curious how Flow carbon is, you all at Flow carbon are thinking of navigating these have, somewhat tricky near-term waters to get to that long-term future and how, how can, all of these stakeholders start to think long term about the the climate future uh, when there's so much short- term pressures right now, and is the voluntary carbon credit market a means to do that? and if not, um, what 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 else can we ultimately do uh, to to navigate this?
1: These are big questions. These are very big questions. i and you know, there's a million and five ways to answer them. Um I will say a few things. I think we fundamentally believe that Natural ecosystems, we, we believe it because science proves it, that natural ecosystems have a huge role to play in continuing to sequester the amount of carbon that they do. Um, and without the economic incentives to preserve them and restore them, really, they will disappear, contributing to the problem in uh, really, like, unfathomable ways. And so it seems at a given that we need to preserve these ecosystems and restore them. And the only financial mechanism for doing so exists via the voluntary carbon market. So, um, I think, so, so that, that's a sort of fundamental tenet of our company. Um, do you want to add anything?
2: Yeah. So I think what's happening in Europe and, you know, through the, the war in Ukraine obviously is I think it highlights the problem more than anything that, um, for example, a lot of the food shortages currently happening with, um, uh, the lack of fertilizers, chemical fertilizers specifically highlights the, the need for food security and specifically around regenerative agriculture, the need to actually take care of the land that's growing the food and not overly index on these other solutions that are near-term high-yielding but long-term destructive. So I think that more than anything highlights a lot of the problems we're actually trying to remedy with the voluntary carbon market, if anything. On the ESG point, I think the problem with ESG, I think a lot of the criticism that's coming on on the whole you know, uh, the optics of ESG is people focus too much on the optics and not enough on the actual quality. I think that's the problem, um, because fundamentally if you, you, you are delivering scientifically proven impact, you are actually preserving trees. You are actually doing thoughtful replanting of certain species of, uh, plants or mangroves, these are just, it's just facts. It's just science, I think. And if you present the facts properly, if you put in onto, for example, something like a blockchain-based solution, which everybody can audit the data, look at it in a very transparent way, I think that in it, it itself is above criticism because it's the data is there, the impact is there. So I think it's not so much a criticism of the voluntary carbon market what we're trying to do here. I think it's just a criticism of over uh, an over um, yeah indexation on the optics of ESG and this and less on the substance. So we try to focus more on the substance and less on the optics. I think that that's that's my point,
1: yeah. I'll also say that if you fundamentally believe in what's at the heart of this market, which is um, financing projects that remove or reduce carbon from the atmosphere, whether they're tech-based or nature-based. So that includes the all-encompassing protecting and preserving and restoring natural ecosystems, then I think in the u s. at least this is fundamentally going to remain a private market. And that means it's it's got to be done through pressure put on corporations to make these kinds of commitments, ESG commitments, um, and then bring them about. Because we, you know, in this country, continue to get further and further away from regulation, which, you know, a regulatory scheme, especially a global one, would be by far the most immediate and scalable way of doing this, Um, protecting these ecosystems that we all know we need, um, financing projects that remove carbon from the atmosphere. It's almost not, you know, there's not really controversy associated with the need. It's more about how to scale the financing to get this done. And it's not happening pursuant to regulation here. And so it's gonna be a private market. The voluntary carbon market is gonna continue to be a private market for a long time. And so these ESG commitments and pressures, pressures in the form of consumer pressure, investor, meaning investors into corporations, investor pressure, um, peer pressure, even media pressure, et cetera. All these pressures that result in ESG commitments by corporations that is what has to sort of um, has has to be the sort of um, regulatory scheme, de facto regulatory scheme that leads to these projects and the buying of the credits that support these projects. There's a big push in the voluntary carbon market now to stop use, using the word voluntary because these ESG commitments are so hard to walk back and um, are being made, you know, kind of universally across the board by many leading corporations. Um, So there's a push to call it the verified carbon market, which I like because, um, you know, these it's really corporations taking uh, an approach that regulation isn't taking, but it's very hard to not take that approach for corporations right now.
0: Definitely a lot to chew on and a lot to tackle over the next few years. I want to jump back into the tactical advice to our audience. And a lot of our audience are builders in the Web3 space. Uh, some may not be as familiar with refi. I wanted to hear from you both. Would you have any tactical advice for somebody who's thinking about building in refi, how they should get started, how they should identify problems, what the makeup of that team should look like, what types of skills should they have? Uh, what steps should they take to get involved?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I'll say is basically the number one criticism, well, not the number one. if you There's there's a lot of recent criticism of crypto in general, up um, DeFi, et cetera. But um, a major criticism that surfaces universally is how carbon inefficient um, projects are. And so if you're building on a proof of work blockchain, um, you might as well get out ahead of it and incorporate some GNT into your protocol. That's our token. So that you don't have, you have an easy talking point to address that challenge, which is we're offsetting the emissions associated with our protocol easy, easy solve that you can you know implement in advance that's one um, but in terms of getting started, obviously it takes great technical talent. obviously, you want great security auditors. obviously, I think you want to do something useful. I think what's what's really interesting now is as we head into what may be, um you know it's a I would say that we all know the crypto markets are down. it's not the you know the sort of um it, it, it's, it's, it's a different landscape than it was a few months ago. And I think that's very healthy. It means that projects are really need to justify what they're doing um, and why they're doing it, which means that a lot of the projects that probably should never have existed in the first instance, um, likely won't get started in this kind of environment. So I think really the first thing anyone who wants to build in blockchain or build in DeFi really should do is say, why am I doing this? Is it a fundamentally sound approach is this like just some sort of speculative game or am I using this technology to do something that can't, can't be done as efficiently using other technologies and where I'm really solving a need and contributing something? Um, we feel like we're doing that, right? We're leveraging this technology to tokenize a unit that in in the other off-chain context is really broken, the market for transacting in it. Um, and to open access to this asset called the carbon Offset at, you know, its inception level, at the project finance level, all the way through the market for buying and selling it. We think this is a really strong use case. And I would encourage any other project that's getting started to similarly be able to articulate why they're doing what they're doing, why they're doing it in blockchain. Um, and, and I think that'll give them the sort of fundamental wherewithal to withstand any of the other challenges that come with starting a company.
0: All well, great advice, so um definitely hopefully we'll we'll hear more refi builders coming out after listening to this episode. Uh, as we wrap up, I wanted to see if you both had any asks for our audience in terms of how they could support flow carbon, um anything you wanted them to do with regards to uh, climate support or the like. I would love to give you the the last word.
1: Yeah, I think if they know of any protocols that they're involved in, any communities on chain that they're involved in that um, could have use for a carbon offset primitive, basically, in any kind of creative way. We think there's like just an endless, infinite array of use cases for this asset. And some of the smartest people are now focused on DeFi and are involved in communities. We've hired a bunch of our community members. They're now our team members. Um, Like there's some of the smartest, most creative thinkers that are in our broad space, meaning DeFi. Um, And so hit us up. Like we're we're super active on Discord. We we really answer all like all channels. Twitter, tweet at us, email us. What however you want. But if you have good ideas for how to use this primitive, like that's what we want. That's why we're doing what we're doing.
0: Yeah, think- great. So everyone in our audience, uh, join Flow Carbon's Discord. Hit them up on yep. Twitter. I presume your email is on your website. So. um. Hopefully, folks get in touch with you who are really excited to contribute. Thanks again, Dana and Nick, for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it.